Hi, welcome to the Physionic Dedicated Podcast. Uh, today is going to be a really interesting episode because we, I say we, because I'm here with my dad. If you're on the audio format of this podcast, my dad has his PhD in physics and I asked on Instagram uh, for a few questions and we've also been thinking about a few different questions that we think would be really interesting and haven't been touched on uh, as far as I know at least and I'm, I'm assuming I speak for him as well that uh, he hasn't seen this discussed either. So this particular question that we wanted to discuss first is where does food come from? And we certainly do not mean that as in uh, it comes from a farm. <laughs> we mean that from the biochemistry, the physics, and what happens within the body, essentially the full cycle of where does food based off of matter uh, come from. And it's actually a really interesting process. So I uh, don't necessarily expect us to uh, go through this completely flawlessly. We're kind of going through this with a mindset of a discussion. So I have a biological, physiological background when it comes to learning about the body. And of course, he's got a background in physics, which is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, if you would interpret it this way, but it's essentially learning about the world, how the world works. Right, at the most fundamental level. So the most fundamental level being like Adam's sub atoms. Uh, we're probably not going to get into sub atoms or anything like that. But the point being that uh, we're going to try and dissect this issue, this question of where does food come from, uh, from the sub microscopic level all the way up to kind of a whole world universal, uh, w just incredible, like it's just going to be very, if you're a hippie, let me put it that way. You're going to really enjoy this episode. <laughs> so we hope we hope. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And if you've got questions, as always, if you're listening to this on a podcast and I would certainly recommend it, uh, if you are watching this, certainly thanks for watching, but <laughs> you're just going to be watching our faces. And I think my dad's going to have a few examples that he might point out. But other than that, uh, that's going to be it. So this is going to be a really long form podcast episode. So certainly check that out on the podcast audio format so that you can be driving or doing something like that as you're listening. Something useful. <laughs> something useful instead of listening to two to, uh, to crazy scientists trying to dissect probably a question that nobody <laughs> gives a damn about, but whatever. Anyways. Um, yeah, so let's let's jump into this. So you wanted to first start out by explaining what, like the you, you were talking about. We we had discussed this briefly uh, beforehand how we wanted to attack this. So you mentioned something about the law of conservation of mass, or how how would you? Let me back up. Let me just say how would you attack the question of where does food come from? Well, um, speaking first about how exciting this subject is, I think it's like mind-blowing. I don't know why nobody in my um, career or in my training as a student first and then as a scientist, um, nobody ever brought this to my attention, but I think it's just a very interesting um, subject and one that is easily amenable to the most the simplest 
analysis by a physicist who knows basically nothing about nutrition or physiology. So, um, right, the question is, uh, where does our food come from? And, um, for example, if we're eating an apple, where did that, the substance that that, ma that, that apple is made out of um, come from? And that brings us into the um, discussion of the law of con conservation of mass. So the mass in that apple had to come from somewhere, and where did it come from? And you think, well, I guess we both talked about this already, but it comes primarily, and we, if you think of the universe as all being made up of some form of matter, right, then you're essentially talking about, uh, if we then specify that to, let's say, the earth, mm -hmm. you're talking about largely organic and inorganic matter, but what we're specifically focused on is organic matter. Is that right? Right, and I think that probably um, simplifies the discussion some because we know at least um, the biggest components of the food that we eat are what? Carbon, well, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, and some oxygen as well. Right, organic molecules, and those are um, categorized in what, three classes? Carbohydrates, lipids, and proteins? Right, yeah. So those are the three macronutrients. Macronutrients, macromolecules, however you want to look at it. Both of them are equivalent. Right. So when you're talking about, you mentioned the law of conservation of mass, how would you think, how would you apply that to this situation? Well, let's talk about that um, law first, because as a physicist, this seems perfectly normal to me and uh, like a very simple concept, but I think if people haven't thought about it before, it may not be. Um, and the law of conservation of mass is basically that matter is never created or destroyed. So if you have a bit of matter in a food, it came from somewhere and it will go somewhere, but it will never disappear and it did not just magically appear either was taken from somewhere else. Okay, let me take a step back because I know there are people, when I was in school and I was learning about some of this stuff, uh, it took years for me to understand some really simple concepts because people just didn't bother to explain it in the simplest possible way. Like, like an idiot, we all start as idiots, right? So uh, I'm gonna back this up for a second. It Matter, can we equate that to just stuff? in general, just the, th everything in the world. Um, yeah, I think that'd be pretty accurate. Okay. So just, we have some idea of what matter is. It's essentially everythingness. So the, 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 what makes up our entire world and that's beyond earth. I mean, that's in the entire universe as we understand it. Uh, so then that law of conservation of mass, you mentioned that you can't destroy anything. Uh, we had talked about previous to, to starting recording this, that uh, a fireplace or a fire in general is a, is a great way to begin. So essentially what we're going to try and do is a cycle through uh, moving through how food is created from like from what, what is being used 
to create the solid of food that we then put in our body, that we masticate, we chew on it, it goes into our body and we do something, we do a ton of different things in our body, metabolism, you know, and then we poop some of it out, we breathe some of it out, and the cycle continues. But for us to do that, we have to have a starting point. So let's let's start with, let's say, like a fireplace. Let's say with a fire. How would that be an example of you're, you're not losing matter? You're not, matter isn't disappearing. Stuffness isn't disappearing. Whatever, let's say you've got a log of, you've got a log that's of wood and you light it on fire after X amount of hours that it's been burning, it's gone. Right, it seems to disappear, doesn't it? Exactly. And um, if you don't think closely about um, what actually is going on, uh, it has disappeared because you're left with some ashes in the um, fireplace and obviously the bulk of the mass of the log is gone. But what's actually happening is... um, the combustion process that's taking place is combining oxygen from the air in the room with the carbon uh, of the cellulose structure of the wood and turning it into carbon dioxide. And that carbon dioxide is going up the chimney. So the mass that was in the wood, which is, I'm guessing, mostly carbon, is going out into the air around your home. So to simplify this again, for those individuals like me that would struggle with that, the word combustion (laughs) really throws people off sometimes, especially for a biologist. Uh, Okay, so you've got this process that's happening. Just to really get really simple with this. You're going from a solid of stuff ma- equated to matter, and you are applying a certain amount of energy to it, which is then leading to it breaking up the bonds between the stuff, leading to a essentially a morphing of from the physical structure that you can see with your eyes to a gaseous state. Is that somewhat right (laughs) well except for the energy um, transfer is in the opposite direction so what's actually happening is a chemical reaction between the oxygen and the um whatever molecules carbonaceous carbon containing molecules the um wood is made out of so oxygen plus carbon molecules yields energy which is what you want from the fire, the heat, right? Um, plus products of combustion. And the products of combustion are going to be the um, CO2, carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide, um, and ash. So you're, you're also restructuring, are you restructuring the carbon? So again, this, assuming that this log is primarily made up of carbon molecules, it is an organic compound, right? Then that is tightly packed together because from my chemistry classes, uh, we understand that a solid is usually really tightly packed, uh, atoms and then, or molecules. And then you go to a, a fluid state 
which is slightly packed. And then you have gaseous, which is the most free. So it can kind of bounce around. Is that correct? Right. But um, in the wood, I'm not exactly sure what kind of um, molecules are in there. I haven't thought about that. But it's um, going to be some kind of molecule containing carbon and actually I don't know what else, but probably mostly carbon. Okay. And that's the that's the main point they were trying to get across, that you have this object that is primarily made up of carbon. It's a solid form. Then something happens to it. So in this case, fire, and uh, it, it burns, and then it gets released into its more open nature. So it gets released, as you said, carbon monoxide, which is CO, carbon and uh, oxygen, and uh, CO2, which is carbon and two oxygen molecule or atoms. And then it's free into the atmosphere. Now, strangely enough, something happens, right? And we're not going to touch on the details of how plants work because we don't know <laughs> if we're completely frank. But we do know the, the processes on either side of that. So that you've got this gas, CO2, and we know that I think most people understand that CO2 is, is taken up by, let's say, trees, and then it creates oxygen. But we also have plants that produce fruits and produce vegetables and things of that nature. So what's, what's going on there? What's, how are we getting going from a gas, something we literally cannot see, and getting to a point where it goes from nothingness to the formation of a fruit or a vegetable or something like that that we can then consume. Right. Well, that's the question, and, and neither of us is equipped to really answer that, answer that question. We don't obviously know what wood is made out of, so, but that's a good point. I mean, the, the, the carbon dioxide from your wood fire in your fireplace goes up the chimney and floats around in the air for a while, and then some other tree grabs onto it and pulls it in through the leaf and into the structure of the tree, I guess. I mean, how else could it happen? And so the cycle continues. You grow a new tree and cut it down and put it back in the fireplace and get some energy out of it. Yeah, so ultimately you are restructuring carbon just if you have atoms of carbon just like single atoms of carbon you're restructuring uh, their use so you're using those carbon atoms to create different structures so you're going from and this doesn't have to be the wood we're just using the wood as an example of something going solid from solid to gas uh, so we've created this point so solid to gas and now we're going from gas to a solid so uh, we're restructuring those carbons along with some of the others because in organic chemistry you're, you're covering not just carbon, although that's pr the primary one, and then you're creating some sort of fruit or vegetable. And I think the example that we were going to talk about is an avocado, right? So that gets restructured into different macromolecules, and uh, he touched on it a little bit earlier. So macronutrients, macromolecules being the same thing, those macromolecules being protein, carbohydrates, and fats and or lipids. Those are the same. I just like to use both terms 
because that's beside the point. Um, so then you, let's say this, this tree or this, uh, this plant is able to, uh, produce avocados and it, it seems like it's like this spontaneous process, but it's, it's taking, it's absorbing the carbon from the atmosphere Right, and we'll get to where some of that carbon comes from. Uh, it's really interesting, uh, but it's absorbing some of the carbon from the atmosphere and redistributing it, and not just redistributing, it, but compacting it right from its gaseous form to its solid form, and then you've got the production of a fruit, or I don't even know what avocado is. I think it's fruit. So I understand. Is that right? I don't know. We, we may be out of our element here. <laughs> we know that it forms and it comes. It's not from an animal. And it's that. good to eat. <laughs> and it's good to eat. Yeah, it is. It is good. It's got uh, good amounts of uh, polyunsaturated fats. So, <laughs> so I know that much. Um, so, okay. So then it, it, it makes up an avocado, an avocado is an avocado is an avocado, meaning that you have always a certain distribution of protein. You always have a certain distribution of lipid and a certain distribution of uh, carbohydrate within that food. So with that distribution, then and somehow it happens. That's the part that we don't know. We aren't, you know, we aren't plant biologists, so we couldn't tell you how the plant is able to distinguish that it's going to form an avocado as opposed to an apple or anything like that. That's not really the point of this discussion. It's more of just that you have at the end an avocado, which then we pick and then we can consume it. Am I on the right track? <laughs> well, and that's what got me onto this question is, I guess thinking about, you know, where does this, this luscious, rich, protein-rich, fat-rich um, fruit or vegetable um, come from. And actually, it's made out of thin air, which is just mind-blowing to me. And also mind-blowing that n nobody had brought this to it, my attention before I thought of it myself. So I don't know if other people are learning this in school, but it's, it seems like something that people should know. No. And talk, talk for a second about the distribution, the percentages, rough percentages of the gas that's found in, uh, in our atmosphere. Oh, right. So that's another, um, interesting facet of this, um, discussion is that air, the stuff that we're, we live and breathe in is, um, it's, um, 78% nitrogen which is called an inert gas. It doesn't do much. 21% um, oxygen, which does a lot. For example, the combustion of that wood in your fireplace and um, anywhere else some um, combustion takes place. And 1% argon, which is also inert and um, is used in industrial processes, but... Um, we don't use much, which does not leave a lot left over for other things. In fact, carbon dioxide in our atmosphere, I think, if I remember correctly, it's 0.04% of 
of the atmosphere is carbon dioxide. So not only do these plants, you know, grab those molecules out of the air, they have to somehow <laughs> get the carbon dioxide and not, not the oxygen or the nitrogen. There isn't much carbon dioxide out there. So it has to be selective. Not only does it have to be selective for some weird reason that we don't know, it selected for one of the least abundant atoms that float around in our atmosphere. So could have picked oxygen, could have picked nitrogen, uh, but uh, decided not to, decided to go with carbon, uh, carbon dioxide, which then leads to, to carbon or is carbon's a constituent part of. So with this selection of carbon, it produces because, and then let's, let's dive into a bit in the macromolecules themselves. They are primarily, they all share what element, what atom? Well, they're organic um, molecules, so they share a number of atoms. They share the carbon and the hydrogen and possibly um, nitrogen. We were just talking about, right? Yeah. Uh, I guess the proteins have the nitrogen and right. the carbohydrates and uh, fats do not have nitrogen. They are just carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. Right. So you have this high level of reliance on carbon specifically. You can certainly focus on the others as well, but uh, you see this high reliance on carbon, especially if you look at like a lipid tail, a, a fatty acid chain, that, it, that can be as much as 16, 18, 20 different carbons all strung together. A glucose molecule is six uh, carbons that are stuck together. And as it enters our body, well, actually, let's talk about that next. So you've got this avocado that's been formulated. It's been s the carbons that are extremely rare have been sucked out of the world around this plant. And the plant has formulated our avocado. Uh, and Right. The plant has somehow moved that um, carbon dioxide or that carbon from the carbon dioxide molecule in through the leaf, I guess, down the branch, up the branch, into the fruit. <laughs> somehow during that process, it has transmogrified that little carbon from that carbon dioxide into a big molecule like a fat or a protein right which is pretty amazing yeah and then it has strung those things together to make the actual structure of the avocado and if you go to an apple tree it has done the exact same thing in different proportions for whatever reason and has created an apple instead which has much, much lower lipids. So we don't really understand how that occurs, but we know that a variety of different plants make a variety of different foods out of, or plant foods out of the things that it just takes out of the atmosphere. The, out of the same thing, right? Carbon dioxide. Right. And so, I guess water from the roots, um, and minerals from the roots, of course. There are, there are traces of other things in all of these uh, fruits and vegetables. But the in terms of what gives us energy, for example, with the actual food that actually offers us energy, which we know are macronutrients, 
that is just limited to those three. And then from there, we pick it off the tree or, you know, if it's an apple or whatever, whatever vegetable or fruit that you're talking about. And then we consume it. And the first step, which seems it's almost a shame because this, this plant has put so much work <laughs> into uh, making this beautiful fruit or vegetable. And then here we go. We just pluck it off, just completely sever its tie to its, to its mother, if you want to put it that way. Right. I'm not sure we appreciate enough what it th- those trees do for us. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, we shove it into our mouth. And the first thing that we do is start breaking it up. <laughs> I mean, that's what chewing is. You're, you're, you're starting, you're, you're, that's the first step of your body chewing something and breaking something up from its large structure that this plant meticulously put together. And then you swallow it and it goes into your stomach and then your stomach assaults it with insane levels of hydrochloric acid, which is just breaks tons of different things up. And then it ends up in your intestinal tract. And then you're in, you're in your intestinal tract, you have more enzymes that are secreted. And those will finish the job up. So now you've broken it up into uh, tiny, tiny molecules of, uh, of these different carbons. So instead of having the large structure, so like the you want to hold up the avocado for a second. So instead of having this... Uh, avocado anymore if you're watching the the podcast um, I, if you're listening my dad's holding up a half of an avocado if you, you're moving from that and you're we're now in the intestinal tract so the intestinal tract can't hold an avocado like that so it's been broken down the bonds between these different uh, molecules have been broken down to a point where now you have just the macromolecules, you just have the macronutrients, and of course the micronutrients that are involved, but in terms of energy production, just the macromolecules. So the macromolecules are at this point your three, your lipids, your proteins, and your carbohydrates, and those get absorbed into the intestinal tract and then get moved into, shunted into the bloodstream. So those molecules, the lipids, carbohydrates, and proteins, those molecules are not transformed before they go through the intestinal wall. They are to a degree. So, uh, for example, like a lipid is is essentially considered two different parts. It's got a glycerol backbone that holds onto, it's essentially this... Uh, yeah, it's just a backbone that holds on to three different fatty acid parts that make up the the lipid as a whole. So before it can enter through your intestinal tract, that is broken up. So the glycerol goes in one way, the fatty acids go in another way, and then they'll end up on the other side of the intestinal wall. The intestinal wall is made up of cells. So all the way down, actually, they're more like this. If you're on the video podcast, you can uh, see that I'm kind of moving back and forth. So it creates a lot more surface area. Um, I'm not going to get into that right now, but you're essentially getting this movement from 
inside the intestinal tract to outside the intestinal tract, but you don't want it to be just in your body cavity. So then your bloodstream attaches to your uh, intestinal cavity, and then the fatty acids will then meet again the glycerol backbone and reconnect. And then it will move through uh, the bloodstream, and well, they can also be disconnected, move through the bloodstream, and then they are moved to any and all tissues that will accept fat, which is, I think, just about everything, maybe not everything, but close to all the tissues, all the cells that make up those tissues. And then the cells uh, have particular enzymes that allow the breaking again of that glycerol from the fatty acid and will allow the fatty acids in or allow the glycerol in and allow that metabolism to start to occur. So from there, so, so far we've been preserving the carbohydrate, the, the carbon structure, excuse me, that we've, that we've seen in the plant. So we've broken it down a considerable amount, but the actual molecule itself, carbohydrate as it was in the ripe plant when it was attached to the tree is still intact, right? So then, uh, let's say you're, you're looking at like a carbohydrate molecule, uh, or even if we continue with our lipid, that doesn't matter either. It enters the cell. And then this is where, this is where the cell starts to start lobbing off carbons. And this is where things start to change. So the actual molecule, it's no longer carbohydrate. It's no longer a lipid anymore because it starts getting lobbed, lobbed apart. So in for a lipid, it goes through a process called beta oxidation. Uh, and that is a process by which you start chopping off. You literally start chopping off two carbon uh, pieces off this chain, off this fatty acid chain. And then that gets, that goes through uh, the tricarboxylic acid cycle, which spins out CO2. And we're going to touch on that again, because that is another aspect that actually feeds into kind of the closing segment of how this cycle is produced. So you have CO2 being produced by this tricarbo tricarboxylic acid cycle, the TCA cycle, and then you also have it go through oxidative phosphorylation after that, which oxidative phosphorylation just allows for the generation of ATP. And this is actually where we use oxygen. And with oxygen, uh, you know, I'm not going to go into a, a whole lot of detail on this, but we use oxygen to produce H2O. So our bodies, our cells are just unbelievably efficient in that they can produce water out of the oxygen molecules and hydrogens that are found inside the cells. So it, it allows this pump, this gradient of hydrogen, and it uses oxygen to allow that gradient to uh, stay the way that it is. But it not only does that, it doesn't want to waste the oxygen, so it just produces H2O, little convenient uh, for, for the body. So we get metabolic water out of it. But going back to the CO2, the CO2 gets spun off as those two carbons are being lobbed off of the lipid. Uh, it's being pushed into that TCA cycle. It goes through the cycle, and at certain points, it's going to uh, go off, and the, the, the carbons are going to be attached to, to CO2, be, be created as CO2. So then that has to leave the system, that leaves the cell. So it, it diffuses across the cell membrane 
and then it goes and attaches to hemoglobin molecules. So hemoglobin molecules are what deliver the oxygen as well. So they do two things. They deliver oxygen from the lungs, and they also, uh, once they dissociate the oxygen into the cells, then the CO2 can then attach to those exact same sites on hemoglobin and move through the bloodstream up to the lungs, where then it dissociates and leaves. <laughs> I mean, really simply put, it just leaves. We just <sighs> we just breathe out, and there it goes. There's our CO2. So we just and that avocado tree says, "Hey, CO2, <laughs> come over here. I got a job for you." <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So then, exactly. So then, that avocado tree does exactly that, where it just starts taking up the CO2. So we contribute the CO2, some of the CO2, to uh, the atmosphere, and the atmosphere then gets sucked up by the plants, and they provide us with more food. And the cycle just continues on and on and on again to the frustration of plants if they had emotions. <laughs> so... So it's a lot like um, what we talked about in the beginning is the um, combustion process in a fire. So you're, uh, you've got this CO2 cycle going on where the CO2 is produced and then captured by a tree and turned into wood and the wood is burned and so on. And the chemical processes in our bodies are a lot more complicated than the combustion in a fireplace, but um, the overall effect is similar. Right. And it doesn't necessarily have to go straight into metabolism. I mean, the same could be applied uh, to an animal, right? And we, we briefly touched on this before we started recording this, that it's not just, I mean, it's all kind of originates from plants, right? Because it's usually we, well, we do consume animals that consume plants. So they go through the exact same process in, you know, a little bit of variety, like I think, a cow has like two stomachs or something like, you know, like weird stuff like that differences in physiology, but it's still the same in the end in terms of, uh, they breathe things out and they also retain certain molecules. So if we go back to our lipid, an animal will, uh, consume, let's say their own versions of foods that they can eat. Uh, if that's like grass, for example, and then we'll turn that into energy uh, from those carbon molecules are turned into uh, different molecules. So lipids, for example, and then those are stored. So they can also be stored. They don't have to be immediately metabolized, but they can be. And so when we consume an animal, we're essentially, it's like a, like a, like a secondary process almost. It's like they've done all the work in terms of consuming the plant and uh, then converting that to uh, a stored form of that molecule and then we eat the animal and we essentially directly transfer that animal's hard work of you know uh, chewing and all that stuff into our system of course we have to chew and all that stuff as well but then it can be stored. So we're essentially transferring tissue, which is such a weird concept. You know, I was laughing about this earlier, that it's such a weird concept that we're essentially taking matter, right? We're gonna go back to matter for a second. Matter, stuff, tissue, whatever you wanna call it, lipid, whatever you wanna call it, 
you're taking that from the animal and you're just like pasting it onto yourself via your mouth, you know, and you don't have any choice on where it gets pasted unless, of course, you weight lift. In which case, <laughs> then uh, you do have a choice, some choice on where it gets pasted, but that's more specific to proteins. So it's an interesting thing to consider. Uh, there's obviously a, a long cycle that occurs and we thought it would be interesting, especially he thought it'd be interesting. It was his idea to, to cover this topic because who thinks about this stuff? Like maybe Joe Rogan on his podcast, you know, like that's, he just goes off on tangents. I, I mean, that's, that's the only, like not very many people think about like the circular nature of, of our body and how it integrates with the universe you know, in physics and biochemistry and organic chemistry and all that stuff. But it's so true. It just plays such a, a huge role to our survival and just how we're integrated. Uh, I feel like sometimes people divorce the idea of nature and science, but there is a commonality, a link there that can never be broken. It's just part of who we are if I mean I'm getting almost like existential with this but it, it really is that it just feels that way so that's all I've got to say do you have anything else you want to add throw in there I guess I just want to um, ask everyone to consider how mind-blowing it is that um, this avocado this apple this pineapple <laughs> are in a sense, just different physical manifestations of air. So somehow the apple seed knows how to create a plant that knows how to take air and turn it into an apple that we can eat and enjoy and that um, sustains our lives. And um, that is really mind blowing. Yeah, it really is. Uh, and it, it does go back to the, the very first point, the law of conservation of mass. You're just, even if you can't see it, that's what's happening. I mean, even if you can't see this, this I mean, but you kind of can. I mean, you can follow a plant and, you know, take like a time lapse of like the growth of a vegetable. Right. You see it growing, but you don't ever think about where that stuff that it's becoming came from, you know, and... I guess that's why we had to touch on the law of conservation of mass. That mass does, doesn't appear like magic out of nowhere, even though it does appear out of thin air. <laughs> the thin air isn't completely thin. Um, it's got these carbon atoms floating around in it, and somehow the plant knows how to turn those carbon atoms into whatever that plant is or whatever the fruit of that plant is. And we obviously don't breathe our energy so the plant, it just turns out that we've somehow found a way to take what the plant produces or what many plants produce. And our body has just adapted to a point where it can extract energy. But it's, it's crazy. I mean, just crazy to think that, I mean, you, you even go to the distinction between plants even. I mean, certain berries will kill you. Other berries are fine to consume, like they'll make, they'll allow you to live. So it's just strange, like how these things have 
evolved over time and through selection and like all these different aspects that are a whole nother conversation, but it's just, it's nuts. There's lots of conversations here. What's interesting about this one is that it, once you have thought about the fact that a carbon atom that was here at the beginning of the world is still here, and that's all you need to to realize to start thinking about, you know, where does our food come from? Well, it comes out of the air. And he mentioned this earlier, your Napoleon comment. I mean, you're, you want to say it? Go oh, ahead. yeah, I was going to um, go on the Internet and look this up. I think I've seen it. I'm sure it's on the Internet somewhere. But speaking of carbon atoms and their indestructibility, they've been around for forever or four billion years, something like that. And um, so they get reused and the carbon atoms that are in our body, a certain proportion of those were in Napoleon's body at some point. Or Genghis Khan, or just pick anyone in history or any figure, any animal, anything. Possibly multiple avocados also. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. It's possible that the plant created an avocado, you ate it, pooped out some of it, and also excreted the rest of the CO2. Then the plant took that CO2, made another avocado. I'm and- just going to make another <laughs> avocado out of that. <laughs> and you spitefully took that and ate it too. <laughs> Um, so anyways, that's what we've got for you. Uh, hopefully it was informative. Hopefully it's a nice thought exercise. I think we'll put it that way. It's not, it's not like you can walk away from this with any applicable information, but it is really interesting. It's really cool to think about these kinds of things from time to time and really stretch our imagination and our intelligence, especially across fields. So with that said, uh, if you've got thoughts, please, please, uh, comment them in YouTube or on the podcast, whatever platform that you'd prefer. And I will try and answer them. I'm sure my dad would be happy to answer a few of them, especially if they're more physics related, in which case I'll just be like, uh, <laughs> because I won't know where to begin. Be glad to. And uh, that'll be it. Hope you guys have a wonderful day. See ya. Bye.